You are listening Don't let me down to the Chilean British Radio. Welcome to episode 7 of You, Me and Her, your weekly dose of feminism here on the Chilean British Radio. I'm Emma, your host, and we're currently live. I'll be here for the next hour, playing female artists or vocalists only and discussing feminist issues. You can catch up on past episodes by searching for the Chilean British Radio on Mixcloud and Spotify. Today we're talking about a phenomenon called the meritocracy. What is it? And does it actually exist? I'll be searching for sightings of this mythical system and explaining why, for all its good intentions, it hasn't really worked out in the 21st century so far. First up, though, it's time to kick off the show with a little bit of Hayley Steinfeld with Let Me Go. Somebody's taking care of all the mess I made 
You're listening to the Chilean British Radio, and today we're talking about the meritocracy. First of all, what does this word mean? The word has two etymological roots. Firstly, merit from Latin, and crisi from an ancient Greek word meaning strength or power. So you put them together and you get a political system whereby power and economic goods are invested or given to individual people based on their merit, that is, their intelligence, talent and hard work. A person's merits might be represented in their performance, intelligence, credentials and education. Think IQ tests, standardised academic tests or even interview assessment days. All of these are based on the meritocracy system and opposed to old systems of nepotism, which is giving power to relatives or friends, opposed to monarchy and legacy, passing down power through the generations of the same family, or even through random allocation or quotas, though I think I'd be hard-pressed to find any examples of that system working on a governmental scale. Here's an example. In the UK, to get into university, you take a set of school-leaving exams. Those who get the best grades get into the universities of their choice and the most prestigious universities only allow in those with the best grades and what is perceived to be the best work ethic and the best enthusiasm for their subject. If you don't get into university through merit, you can't pay someone to get into another institution and you can't get in based on who you know. Well, not in theory anyway. You're supposed to earn it. So the idea of a meritocracy is a really well-intentioned one. It's supposed to defeat corruption and favouritism and ensure a a fair playing field for all, allowing students and workers to reap the rewards of their effort and skills. But as we'll soon see, it's not all that straightforward. I'll be back with why after this next song. It's Olivia Holt with Phoenix.
For decades, politicians have played with the idea of a meritocracy to win over voters. In September 2016, Prime Minister of the UK, Theresa May, described the idea that Britain should be the world's great meritocracy. She actually used those words, saying that her reforms would ensure a good school place for every child, for example. The following year, President Donald Trump in the United States said that his new immigration controls, which, by the way, are the exact opposite of feminist, separating parents and very young children and subjecting them to unjust treatment, would be merit-based. He said, or, well, he shouted, that this was necessary to create a level playing field for American companies and workers. This image of a fair system, a level playing system, or a level playing field, is an attractive image. Of course it is. We want to believe in the idea that our intentions will have equal results. We want to believe that the things that happen to us are in our control, that if we do well, we have done well because of ourselves. And of course, that's true in some cases, but it's not the full picture. We're never quite as in control as we want to be. When the word was first coined in 1956, it was actually being used as an insult. The industrial sociologist Alan Fox asked in his commentary, Why do we want to give more prizes to the already gifted members of society? Why don't we do what he called cross-grading, which would give people doing difficult, undesirable tasks some kind of reward, like extra leisure time, instead of simply rewarding those who have already got their dream job? Now, in politics, the rhetoric is often used as a justification for reforms which will do anything but improve the equal opportunities of some members of the community or country. For example, Trump's merit-based immigration is steeped in racism and xenophobia. And Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who was a Conservative Prime Minister in the UK and the first female Prime Minister, was supposedly a symbol of social mobility and an enemy of vested interests. But she is traditionally hated by the working classes as she closed a lot of the coal mines in the north of England and closed a lot of opportunities for those miners who then didn't have any other chances after their jobs had been lost to have their skills recognised in another area. Next up, we're listening to Madeline Bailey with Wiser.
listening to the Chilean British Radio and that was Madeline Bailey with Wiser. I really love the power in that song. Now we've discussed what the meritocracy is in theory and where it comes from but now we're going to look a little bit about we're going to talk a little bit about why it doesn't really work the way it's intended to, why it is a myth. So there's a few flaws with the ideology of the meritocracy. First of all, it really doesn't take into account ingrained institutionalized privilege, things like race, sex, gender, sexuality, physical or mental disability, the country you live in, the education you receive, the healthcare you have access to, and so on. So merit isn't some kind of abstract thing we're born with, fully formed. Merit is cultivated. We grow and we learn. We learn a certain worth ethic, we go to school to learn a formal education, we go to university perhaps, or we attend a extracurricular activity to develop a certain skill. We're trained for specific things and we develop our merit through practice, through our experiences and through what we have access to. So those born into higher socio- socioeconomic standing will have access to more resources than other people. They might have access to private education, they might have access to more time-rich parents, not just economically rich, but time-rich also is really important. They might have better basic materials like books, technology, easier psychological circumstances, like for example not needing to worry about food or money or shelter, and sometimes even healthier or more varied role models, which is something we discussed in our very first Um, well, our second episode of You, Me and Her. So even if we overcome these inequalities which are rife from our childhood, the rest of the world might not recognise our merit due to their own internalised expectations and their tendency to reward expectations that they have. So in other words, the world thinks that men can do something, so they reward that behaviour when it comes from a man and ignore it when it comes from a woman. One study actually proved that if you believe you are objective, you're more likely to be less objective in reality, probably because you stop thinking critically. Men were given, in this study, two applicants, one male and one female, with an identical description. Men who thought that they weren't sexist turned out to be more likely to hire the male applicant simply based on gender. Crazy. 
Furthermore, studies have shown that when evaluating employees, women receive negative personality feedback that men are never subject to. In short, women's merits are evaluated on the basis of personality instead of ability, while men are generally only evaluated on ability. This is primarily in the working sector. In a different study, women were criticised for being bossy, aggressive, irrational, emotional, whereas men only received one of these negative personality comments. It was aggressive. And in a few of the cases, the criticisms were not criticisms. They were calling for the men to be more aggressive, the very same thing that they were criticising the men for being. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a break from this, and next up, it's a song from an album called I'm Not Bossy, I'm the Boss. What a great title. It's Sinead O'Connor, and this is How About I Be Me.
You're listening to the Chilean British Radio, and we're talking about the meritocracy. Now, we've talked a little bit about why the meritocracy ideology is flawed, but if you're struggling to imagine how this works in reality, let's talk about a racetrack analogy. Imagine there's a long, long racetrack. At the end of the racetrack are the positions of power, authority, higher wages, and so on, the things that we want from life. But the the potato... The participants are told that whoever trains the hardest, whoever is the fastest runner, will get those rewards. But on the race day, some of those participants are placed halfway along the track, ahead of the others, and so they have a head start. The other participants placed are placed behind. Now, the pa- participants who are placed further along the racetrack ahead are those whose parents have more money, those who are non-disabled, those who are not victims of racism or sexism, or those who blend in easily with their community. Now, the starting cannon goes off, and the, the participants run as fast as they can. Many of the participants at the start and halfway down the track are running at the same speed and have trained equally hard. Some of them have even had to train for this in between caring for relatives or taking on part-time jobs. But the ones who start at the back, even though they're just as fast and have trained just as hard as the other, will never catch up and they don't have the same opportunity to reach the finish line first. Then there there is the front who are genuinely faster than the people at the back, but that's because their parents bought them extra running lessons from a specialist that no one else could afford. Now, in a society where we all start at different points on the racetrack, where racism and sexism and socioeconomic inequality is rampant, the meritocracy is therefore a myth. We can work as hard or run as fast as we can, but we'll never catch up with those who had a head start that they did not earn or ask for. In other words, privilege and discrimination get in the way of a real meritocracy. Now, if you're wondering what exactly privilege is, please do stay tuned. First up, though, it's Kate Bush with a very fittingly titled song called Running Up That Hill.
Welcome back. We're talking now about privilege here. And so what exactly is privilege? What should we know and do about it? Privilege in this context means benefiting from something you did not ask for or earn. It's an advantage or a right you gained usually from birth or occasionally a little later in life from your socioeconomic position. First of all, let's dispel the idea that saying you benefit from privilege is an insult. It's not an insult. It's about recognising a reality. I, for example, benefit from white privilege. I will never have to experience institutionalised racism. Men benefit from male privilege, as they will never have to experience institutionalised sexism. White men stack the two on top of each other, benefiting from white male privilege. Add another block if you're straight, cisgender, non-disabled. You get the idea. They're just facts. Realities. Things which shape our everyday life. Privilege often goes unnoticed. We think that something is normal simply because we've always experienced it. I walk down the street. I see a policeman. I don't feel afraid or feel at risk of being stopped and searched because of my skin colour. If I stay in my own little white bubble, it would be fair enough for me to believe that that's the same experience for everyone. I wouldn't have recognised my own privilege. Male privilege also leads to a lot of things like that. Much of the world has been designed for men as if they were the universal or neutral experience, when in fact this obviously is not the case. This poor bias design leads to something called the gender data gap, a really fascinating concept I'll be exploring in a future episode. But for now, it's enough to say that the gender data gap in, in this case leads men to think that their skills, their way of doing things, their way of asking for a promotion, of relating to other people, etc., is the norm, and therefore they reward others for it, and are also themselves rewarded for it. The meritocracy, therefore, is not generally neutral, but it instead is skewed in favour of the groups in society who have a privilege. I'm going to be thinking a little bit more about merit, and particularly success as a concept, in the section to come. But first off, let's take a little break with Taylor Swift, and look what you made me do. Place to sleep, 
locked me out and threw a feast. What? The world moves on another day, another drama, drama. But not for me, not for me. All I think about is karma. And then the world moves on, but one thing's for sure. Maybe I got mine, but you'll all get yours. Welcome back again. We're talking about the meritocracy, and there's an underlining, underlying concept of the meritocracy, which is it's not just that we can achieve what we want by working hard enough. It's the idea that we should always be attempting to achieve more. And the social obligation of forever moving upwards, always achieving more, is highly individualistic. We're always trying to make ourselves and our families better. It can be great to have ambition, but sometimes individual aspirations and a belief in our own merit come at the cost of a societal solidarity, and also at the cost of rational attitudes to inequality. Every individual in the world can't be in a top leadership role, it's impossible. Leaders would cease to be a thing, but individualism doesn't take this into account. Individualists believe that successes in life are purely down to our own efforts. It's the meritocracy rearing its ugly head again. This belief in effort-based success rationalises inequality because it perpetuates the myth that the wealthiest people in the world are the brightest and the most hard-working, while the poorest people in the world are the stupidest and the laziest. In a 2017 survey carried out by the European Commission, Great Britain came joint top of the list of countries who wanted more of an individualistic outlook in the next decade. But even at the top of the list... 52% 52% of British respondents said that they wanted a more they wanted more solidarity in their communities. So if over half of us want a more united community, why do we continue striving only to improve our own individual situations? Why do we never just stop and congratulate ourselves on what we have and what we have already achieved and turn instead to helping the rest of the world catch up with us? Have a little think about this during the next song. 
It's partly embodying this idea of always doing better. It's Little Mix with Wings. You're listening to Yumi and Her, and this is Eddie Golding with The Greatest. Just you and me. Oh. 
Welcome back. Last week we discussed the pay gap and the way that we classify work. But this week I want you to consider this. What is merit? What is success? All of our ideas about success and merit are generally tied to the economy. We want skills which can make money. The girl who draws incredibly well for fun but earns minimum wage, the boy who is an amazing listener but spends his whole day working independently, the person who's average at their admin job but at their admin job but spends their lunch breaks volunteering 
Those great non-professional qualities aren't deemed relevant to their success if they're not earning them money. This, of course, can lead people who have stronger non-economic-based skills to feel disadvantaged or excluded, or even to become financially and socially disadvantaged as they have greater difficulties in earning higher wages and living with a higher quality of life. In short, when the meritocracy says, those who deserve to do well will do well, they're really only saying, those who have a skill valued by the economic capitalist system will do well, and those who don't have those skills that we value will be considered as less hardworking and less successful. Same goes for if you have a skill which is economically marketable, but you don't enjoy it as much as something which is less highly financially rewarded. Tough luck, it would seem. This feeds down through the whole of society and is also seen in the way that we teach and reward students in schools. We only value certain types of skills. According to the educational theorist Bill Ayers, standardised tests can't measure initiative, creativity, imagination, conceptual thinking, curiosity, effort, irony, judgement, commitment, nuance, goodwill, ethical reflection or a host of other valuable dispositions and attributes. What they can measure, however, are isolated skills, specific facts and functions, content knowledge, the least interesting and least significant aspects of learning. As a result, people with the second set of skills get good grades. Those who have less easily easily measurable skills will have greater difficulty performing under the same one-size-fits-all educational system. As a result, the education system is another source of the meritocracy myth. It's not just the working world. Not at all. Next up, we're listening to Madonna with I Rise.
choose to do with what's been done to you. No one can hurt you now unless you want them to. No one can hurt you now unless you love them to. Unless you love them to. Cause I'm going through it, yeah, I know you see the tragic in it. Just hold on to the little bit of magic in it. I can't break down now. I can't take that another fittingly titled song here on You, Me and Her on the Chilean British Radio. It's that final section of the show now, so you know what's coming next. It's our Feminist of the Week. Our Feminist in Focus for this week is Amika George, an 18-year-old activist who has already achieved so much for feminism in the UK at such a young age. In April 2017, she started Hashtag Free Periods, a campaign to make menstrual products free for schoolchildren in the UK. She had learnt that some children in the UK were missing school because they couldn't afford menstrual products. And she was horrified, quite rightly. Why should our inevitable biological processes lead to missing out on education? Yet for some people, it really does. According to one survey, it said that 15% of girls had at some point struggled to afford menstrual products. Through campaigns, petitions and partnerships with other period poverty charities, Free Periods got the British government to pledge a £2 million fund to tackle period poverty around the world. In 2018, the Scottish government went a step further and became the first in the world to offer free sanitary products in all schools, colleges and universities. This was a huge step for the campaign and it got better only a month ago, in March 2019, when the British government, the English government, said it too would provide free sanitary products in secondary schools and colleges in England from next year. Every time I read about people like Amika George, who are so young and yet who have already stood up and fought for what they believe in and achieved so much, I feel so incredibly in awe. So thank you, Amika. Bit by bit, we'll eradicate the stigma around menstruation and end period poverty. For now, it's time to leave you once more. Thank you so much for listening. To close the show, it's Christina Aguilera with Fighter.
Chilean British Radio. The only Chilean radio in English. <laughs> 